Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day. But again, this is your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask your questions, voice your concerns. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one, but please keep it short and respectful. All right, just before we get underway, a note that Your Province, Your Premier is not being broadcast on Chad Edmonton today because that station is committed to airing an early start time Edmonton Oilers game. So for Chad listeners who would rather listen to this show, you'll have to go online to 770chqr.com. Now, the regular Edmonton phone lines will be working, so callers can still join the show. Premier Smith. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, Wayne. I'm just telling your technical guy I can't hear anything, so I might have to switch to a different speaker once we get into the phone calls. All right. Well, let's let's get right to it then. Uh, Health care has been identified as a major concern by Albertans, and the news from government this week really had a health care focus on three fronts. The Auditor General's report on the province's response to COVID at continuing care facilities, your government's proposal for a record $2 billion in funding to help modernize and strengthen the primary health care network, and record mental health and addiction spending. So let's first address the AG's report. I, I really doubt it was much of a surprise. Uh, planning and preparedness was insufficient. Understaffing at long-term care facilities, a big issue. Eight recommendation, uh, recommendations issued for improvement. Your response? I, I believe our health minister has already accepted all eight recommendations, and we're going to be having a very strong focus on making sure we put funding where it's needed to address the concerns in a practical way after the this budget. The budget's coming out on Tuesday, so we'll have more to say about it then. But I will just say one of the things that we did well in Alberta was that we moved very quickly on protecting our seniors in long-term care compared to other provinces. And one of the things that I think was really important is not having multiple patients in a single room. That was one of the reasons I had so much trouble in Ontario and Quebec is that there were certain uh, facilities that had four patients to a room. And so when somebody gets infected and then it goes to the other patients and then it just ends up spreading. So I think we are ahead in a lot of ways. Obviously, far more work to do. The great, great tragedy of COVID was the number of uh, of seniors in long-term care who ended up succumbing to this disease. And so that, that has to be something that we're mindful love in the future sure. for future pandemics but also for future influenza seasons as well influenza is very very dangerous once you get over the age of 70 as well with multiple pre-existing conditions so I'll, we'll have more to say about it when the budget comes out on tuesday but uh, we, we were pleased with the auditor general doing that work giving some good recommendations for us okay now there's been a move in alberta and for that matter in other provinces uh, to address or supplement shortcomings in uh in healthcare uh, to incorporate some contracted for-profit services into health delivery uh, to basically aid the, the pure publicly run system. Now, the report found proportionately more COVID outbreaks, cases, and deaths in the contracted for-profit facilities. Does that does that give you pause? You know, how do you address that? I guess the issue would be is that if you have a larger proportion of your facilities being private, then a larger proportion of the deaths are going to also be in private facilities. But I think one of the things I would say about private facilities is that they are the ones that are moving towards more individualized rooms. I think that they're very nimble in the way that they're able to operate. And I, 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 I would say overall, if you look at how we compared to Quebec. Quebec has some very serious problems and they have the reverse. 
the bulk of their care centers are publicly funded. And so I, I think that uh, we, we just have to make sure that we're not looking at this in isolation, that there's some obvious areas of improvement. But I certainly wouldn't draw the conclusion that uh, that our uh, long-term care providers who are private are uh, a source of any of the uh, of any of the problem. I, I think that our long-term care providers are part of the solution. We need to have far more investment. We need to have far more investment in um, uh, in expanding out those facilities. We need to have far more investment in home care, quite frankly, because the safest place for a senior to be is surrounded by loved ones and family in the comfort of their own home. Absolutely. And so, and we've seen this. Um, I've had two ministers now who've gone to Denmark, and that is the model that they have moved to in uh, in, in many of these European countries is facilitating people in their home longer so that they're not exposed to just the obvious dangers that happen when you're in a congregate care setting, whether it's private or whether it's public. I okay. think that the main thing should be let's let's keep people keep people in their own homes as long as possible. Now, healthcare about. 40% of the provincial budget uh, spent on health care in Alberta, something about that, and half of that going to hospitals, drugs, um, physician services. Uh, to put that into perspective, that's about $8,200 per person uh, in Alberta. But there's also a fairly broad recognition that the system that was first introduced, and I had to look it up, uh, it was back in Tommy Douglas, 1957, so that's uh, 65 years ago. Uh, the system is, is it's broken, it's outdated. So to that end, there was two major funding announcements from your government this week. Let's talk about that record $2 billion to help modernize and strengthen the primary health care system. What criteria is used to define modernize? What will it include? Where, where's the focus? The, the main thing that we've discovered is that there are a, a lot of people who only have access to health care through the most expensive door, which is the emergency department. So if you have a doctor with limited hours just through the week or you don't have a walk-in clinic in your community and something happens, you end up having to go to the emergency uh, ward. And so part of what we need to move towards is more team-based care in primary care. I think we put an awful lot on family doctors. And there was a model in the past where family doctors would have 1,500 patients on their roster. I even remember when I was a kid, they would do house calls. But the, the system has changed quite a bit. Many, many of our doctors have hybrid services where they do some primary care, but also have hospital admittance privileges. Many are also going to specialties. And so as a result, we don't have as many doctors doing that primary practice and so we don't have as many people able to get access that that first point of care so team-based care would involve having a doctor a nurse practitioner and then all of the allied health professions as well whether it's a nutritionist a dietitian a physiotherapist i think we've got a great model in crowfoot with the with the primary care network there but we've never really broadened that out we uh, our health minister jason copping he signed an agreement with the with the doctors to look at having 25 percent of doctors under these alternative payment models so that we can deliver more of this group care but the main thing is everyone should have access to a general practitioner whether it's a family doctor or a nurse practitioner everyone should be able to have that initial point of access when something goes wrong so that they're able to to get the care that they need when they need it without having to resort to going to an emergency room that's what we're going to try to move to all right and we'll get more detail in the budget coming up more uh, on tuesday on tuesday a record two billion dollars all right uh before i get to the uh, uh mental health and addiction strategy. I want to go to the phones first because we've got a break coming up. So we're going to start with uh, Jackie uh, calling in from Calgary. Uh, go ahead, Jackie. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hello, Premier. How are you? Hi, Jackie. Good to hear your voice. What's on your mind? Okay. Well, uh, first of all, are you familiar with who I am calling nope. about? Nope. So I am Jackie with Alberta Food Rescue and Distribution. Um, down in southern Alberta, and uh, 
We have been sending you letters and emails. I've been calling relentlessly. So I'm hoping that someone has said our name to you. Well, tell me what's on your mind today. You got the opportunity to speak to me directly. So go ahead. I am so excited, right? Okay, so I'm the founder of Alberta Food Rescue and Distribution. We are Alberta's largest food rescue agency. I know you're familiar with what food rescue is. We are not part of the Food Bank Alberta or Canada program yet. And so we did not receive any funding before Christmas. We were very vocal and did many news articles and such stating that we had over 400 pallets sitting in a warehouse waiting to be distributed but did not have the funds. We were, uh, we worked very hard to get this message to your office. We have seen other agencies around us that we actually give food to receive money from Food Banks Canada or Alberta. Now, we're wondering why we did not receive any funds, why 400 pallets sat in the warehouse um, over Christmas. We feed over 10 to 15,000 families each and every month, and that number is rising, and we are struggling just like every other nonprofit. But we feed southern Alberta all the way up to northern Alberta, we were the we took the most amount of potatoes from PEI. We took 11% of all the potatoes. So what we're wondering is why are we not receiving the supports? We also give the High River Food Rescue um, connects to them. We've given them over 100,000 pounds of food. So, and I do know, I, like I've told everybody, I know our premier understands what food rescue is. Okay, I think we, it's I think we got the gist up. of it, Jackie. So uh, uh, we'll let Premier Danielle uh, Smith yeah. uh, respond. Thanks, Jackie. There's a there's a number of different food rescue organizations that aren't in that orbit of the of the food banks. And so when I do hear of these cases, I, I I try to connect with with food banks to find out why it is they haven't done that validation. There was actually a, a an issue in my home riding in, in Brooks Medicine Hat. So I'll, I've made note of this. That the main thing is that we have to also develop programs that can be audited. The Auditor General makes sure that we are not just shoveling money out the door and don't have a way of tracking it. And so part of what we rely on is these independent validators to say, yep, that's a great program. We have a partnership with them. We're working with them. It could be that uh, there's just a couple of steps that need to be done for this Alberta Food Rescue in Southern Alberta. And that, uh, if we can get that that worked out, then p- perhaps we'll be able to, to assist with the next round of funding. But we we also have to make sure that all of the different organizations have the have the validation so that uh, when, when the AG ha- takes a look at this program he can give it the stamp of approval all right we're going to pause for a break more calls when we come back more texts when we come back on your province your premier if you're just joining us today you are indeed listening to your province your premier now a note that your province your premier is not being broadcast on chad edmonton today because it's committed to airing an early start time edmonton oilers game so for chad listeners who would rather listen to this show Go online to 770chqr.com. You'll still be able to get through on the phone line. So let's go right to those phone lines. Debbie is calling in on a primary health care question. Good morning, Debbie. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Oh, hi, good morning, Premier. Um, my question is, I've heard the NDP advertising in their campaign on the radio that um, Danielle Smith wants you to pay for your primary... Um, health care? visit your doctor, yeah, yep. your primary... And what's going on with that? Like, I think you need to get in front of that kind of... No, I understand. They've been saying this for years, quite frankly. And I I must say that I... 
they were the ones who were charging $40 a day for people to access publicly funded care for mental health and addiction. And we eliminated those fees. So they don't have a lot of credibility on that. When they had the opportunity to eliminate user fees, they didn't. They kept them in place. So I'll put that on the table. The other thing is, my comments are always in the context of this idea that I have for a health spending account. Because one of the things that I have noticed is that we do not fund at all any of the things that keep ourselves well. And so the context of talking about a health spending account is we already have them at the provincial level. Rachel Notley has one. All of the public service has one. And so my view is if we're going to be paying for this as taxpayers, why shouldn't all Albertans have access to a health spending account? And what do they allow you to do? If you go onto the CRA, there is probably... Oh, gosh, hundreds of different services that are not paid for right now out of a publicly funded plan. Um, and so if you want to go to a physiotherapist or a chiropractor, a dietitian, a psychologist, um, a mental health expert, there's there's a whole range of not only services, but also um, getting home care, having an, a caregiver aid, different medical equipment. And so I want to find a way to facilitate us being able to help people pay for those things that they have to pay 100% for. So that's the context of why I want to bring in a health spending account. I campaigned on it during the leadership. We're still working out the details of how it would work, but it's to enable more comprehensive coverage so that we're helping to defray the cost of things that people have to pay for out of pocket. That, that's the, the context of it, that I made that, that comment, is that we need to get, empower people to have dollars in an account so that they can pay for more of the things that they need, exactly like um, the, the, uh, the public service and the politicians already have. All right. Uh, Ed, calling in from Olds uh, on a carbon tax question. Go ahead. Ed, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yes, Danielle. I was on uh, Premier Smith. I'm sorry. Uh, I was on uh, a YouTube channel and there's a scientist out there, four of them, that went through some of the high for 50 years. And they say this whole carbon thing is garbage. We're in a carbon drought. It's just another thing Trudeau's lying about. Uh, and and your question, Ed? Are we going to start teaching uh, different in school? Because you ask any school teacher, and they say, "Well, it's that's science. It is not science." Well, Ed, I guess I'm, I look at it a little bit differently, and and part of the reason for that is that I I have such great faith in the innovators in our oil and gas sector. I remember years ago I heard um, a, a speech by a professor named Pierre de Rocher, and one of the things that he said is that when we first started out using these traditional f- fossil fuels, the thing we wanted to get out of it was kerosene, but there was all of this waste product. And over the years, innovators just found different ways to turn those into useful products and create a revenue stream. We now have 6,000 different products that come out of a barrel of oil. And CO2, in my view, is just a new waste product that our industry is figuring out a way to monetize. They can now capture it and they can pump it into greenhouses. They can pump it underground for enhanced oil recovery. They can turn it into its base um, starting point of alcohols or plastics or fly ash to make stronger cement. And if our innovators are able to find a way to turn what is a cost into a revenue stream, I'm all for that. I think that that's really positive, and that's the direction the industry's been going for the last five years. All right, Max is calling in from Drayton Valley. Good morning, Max. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Good morning, Premier. Sure. Yeah, uh, just a couple of points I've written down. I'll uh, read off here. Make so them quick. Everyday Albertans are having a hard time making ends meet right now, as you know, and in the same breath, 
you're planning to give oil companies a huge handout to do something they're already legally required to do. And the site, uh, plan site cleanup subsidy is money lost in revenue to us, the taxpayers. And also, this plan does nothing to address actual orphan wells, which aren't even owned by any of these companies. They're just that, orphaned. So if you're doling out taxpayer money, why not give it directly to the orphan well fund, not viable companies in the guise of credit? And speaking of these companies, why not incentivize them by mandating they clean an inactive or abandoned site currently on their roster prior to granting them a permit to drill a new well? I mean, like, clearly continuing to pamper them, which has been the tactic for decades in Alberta now, isn't working. So why don't we instead show a little bit of strength? Um, because, you know, this subsidized corporate welfare company is currently posting billions in profit half to end. And, and I don't want to hear the answer of the Fed's you know, did something similar during COVID. I mean, that program was designed to get people back to work during COVID when a barrel of oil was in negative territory. And mission accomplished there, hence the program end, and we're in a whole new environment now. So, wow, so you got a lot of you got a lot of stuff there, man. Look, look, I mean, when I was in business advocacy, um, we started. I started advocating on a program that where the world was quite different. Two years ago, we had a junior oil and gas sector that was decimated, couldn't get any dollars in to be able to start drilling programs again. We were looking at twenty billion dollars in a deficit that year. And so my, the, the, the program he's talking about really started uh, as an idea two or three years ago. Now the world has changed and policy has changed. So in our province, we now have a policy where there is a mandatory amount of spend that every company has to do to clean up its existing liabilities. And I'm supportive of that. Uh, they've got to pay, uh, pay for it out of, their own, out of their own pockets. But what I have noticed, and I've been on this file for a very, very long time because I was a landowner advocate when I first started in public policy, we have inactive wells that have been sitting uh, unused, unreclaimed since prior to 1980, more than 20 years, and they're a big mess. There's sumps on there, there is flare pits on there, and no one wants to touch them because it's literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to clean them up, and so they just keep getting pushed forward year after year after year. And I have to tell you, like we haven't solved that. The current government hasn't solved that. The NDP didn't solve that. Previous PC governments didn't solve that. And I want to solve it. We 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 have got to clean up the worst sites in Alberta. And if we can create a program that incentivizes companies to focus on those very worst wells, clean them up, and then give them the ability to have a, a royalty credit so that they can drill new wells. I think that that's a, a sort of a, a, a perfect opportunity for us to see if a pilot project will work. So that's the idea behind where it is the, that uh, our energy minister, Pete Guthrie, is going. He's still in the process of consultation. He's still getting all of this feedback. I, I will say a couple more because I, I hear from First Nations about how when you've got a territory where you've got abandoned sites or orphan sites and they're not being cleaned up, that's sterilizes a huge portion of their lands and they want to start working on on new commercial development. We've got to clean those up for them to be able to do that. Same with municipalities. I heard about Kalmar and Medicine Hat having uh, having sites within their boundaries. Uh, Kalmar years ago and, and Medicine Hat just recently. We need a program to incentivize cleaning those up too so that those lands can be put back into development. I mean, we've got a really big site here, West Village, that is just sitting there. It might be a 50 to $300 million cleanup job. 
Um, and it just keeps getting pushed forward year after year, and it's impacting the city of Calgary's ability to be able to develop that site out. So, yeah, I, I think I have an obligation to try to figure out how to clean up these historic sites that, quite frankly, regulators at the time allowed those practices. Regulators allowed those sites to be transferred from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, so that the original person who polluted isn't the person who owns it today. So that's the, the rationale behind what it is we're trying to do. And we're talking about a very small program. Um, we're talking about uh, $100 million just as a pilot project to see if that's going to, to be able to help us address those very worst sites. And as I said, like if we have one site here in Calgary that might be a $300 million cleanup, that puts it into context about just how big a problem this is. And I'm just not prepared to see that continue push forward to another another government and not address. The, right. land, the landowners are the ones ultimately who are burying the worry and the, and the stress of wondering when, if ever, these sites will be cleaned up and i want them to know they'll be gotta, cleaned up got to start somewhere all right uh we've got a phone call we've got several texts on the affordability payment so we'll hit the text messages first uh they're very similar uh premier smith why are you leaving out single people who do not have the luxury of having a second household income and make less than thirty thousand dollars a year it doesn't make sense that you leave this group uh, out $180,000 yearly income is a huge income. Why didn't the rebates focus on low-income households? The, the the approach that we wanted to take is that we know that when you have children in a household, it just adds additional household costs. I think I saw Trevor Toom, um, economist at the UFC, say that a, an additional child adds about $60 a month to the, uh, to the household bills. And so it seemed to make sense for us to focus on supporting kids. Uh, also seniors, I, I have to say, when you're on a fixed income uh, and you're seeing the elevating prices of of, uh, pharmaceuticals, elevating prices of of groceries, that that causes a lot of stress. So we knew we had to target it to those over age 65 as well. And anyone who is on a a disability program, if you don't have the ability to make market wages, whether it's because you're on AISH or Alberta uh, Alberta Sports or Alberta Seniors Benefit, those are the, the ways in which we wanted to target those additional extra dollars. As for the approach that we've taken, I, I think that it's it's uh, it's showing itself to be successful. We wanted to really focus on the things that drive prices up. And what drive prices up are energy prices. So it's why we took the fuel tax off. It's why we also put some stability in place and, and also some uh, supports on electricity and on natural gas. And again, Trevor Toome, he's becoming my favorite economist. He also said that it's working, that we are now at a point um, since July where inflation has come down to zero over that period of time. For those and, particular... And that's, uh, well, industries. overall inflation, because when you think about it, um, think of how important it is that we only pay a buck twenty-five a liter for gasoline and diesel compared to a buck seventy-five a liter in British Columbia. Every time you fill your tank, any time a truck who's picking up products to deliver to a grocery store or a retail outlet, that goes into the cost of everything. And so it's those energy prices that we really had to stabilize in order to be able to bring it, to be able to counter what's happening at the federal level with the inflation crisis. And it's why we called on the federal government and, quite frankly, Rachel Notley to uh, call on her federal leader to pause the increase in the carbon taxes. They're still planning on having a 300% increase in the carbon taxes. That's going to continue to fuel the price of everything. We've counteracted that with the things that we've done to benefit everybody. And, you know, you don't always get these things perfect, 
But what we didn't want to do was just hand out $500 checks to everybody over age 18 as they did in other jurisdictions because we felt like that wouldn't have been targeted and it would have just resulted in fueling the inflation crisis. By doing it the way we have, having it worked into the monthly bills for the next six months to those most in need, we we think we're we're keeping the prices down for everybody and that's the the approach that we've taken. Okay, Doug has texted in saying, uh, hello, Premier Smith, my wife and I are seniors living in Calgary. My biggest concerns, if you go to an Alberta pension plan, will it be portable like CPP as we may move to BC? Also, will it be indexed similar to CPP? And will it be as diversified and safe as CPP? You should clarify these points before the election. Well, he's he's all, he's very right. And, and there is so much in consideration about whether to have our own pension plan that uh, we are waiting for the report to come out. We got the direction from Albertans during the, the fair, uh, fair Deal panel. Which way are you leaning? Well, I can tell you what I've seen on the preliminary results is not only would we be able to dramatically reduce the overall payroll taxes, we'd also be able to increase the amount of seniors' benefits. And so we want to make sure that people understand just how dramatic those numbers are, which is why we're waiting for the final report in May. And then we'll do, a, again, another round of, uh, of consultations across the province. And if there's an appetite to have a vote on it, we would put it to a vote of the people. The, that was the other thing the Fair Deal panel said, is that this is the pension of Albertans. And if anything changes are going to happen to it, it has to happen by vote. So we ha- don't have any contemplation about doing anything on that until the final report's available. It won't be until after the election. So a lot of those questions will be answered when it comes up but if we can put if if the report shows that not only can we reduce costs but we can also increase benefits it'll be up to albertans to decide if if they like that value proposition and that's that's what we're waiting for will a similar approach be taken uh premier smith on a provincial police force the, you know, I'm pretty happy with the approach that um, Premier or that Premier that Minister Mike Ellis is is doing. Where we he he discovered when he came in because remember um, Minister Ellis was a Calgary police uh, officer before, and he said he was surprised to learn that there was only about a week's training difference in bringing our sheriffs up to capacity to be able to do the full range of policing. And so we're working on building the capacity of sheriffs and expanding out their role. You see that we have 12 sheriffs that were rolling out in Calgary and Edmonton to help with the public disorder happening in our two major downtowns. There are other municipalities that we have supported with grants if they want to pursue looking at municipal local policing options. You may have seen that Grand Prairie is uh, looking at having a municipal police service. Um, There are others... uh, uh, other communities that want to expand out their peace officers. There are some that are looking at regional policing. And there's also one community that asked us if we would open an, a sheriff's detachment rather than uh, take on the policing themselves. So so we're prepared to make sure that we meet municipalities where they're at. And if they want to continue on with the status quo, great. If they want to try something new, then uh, we're prepared to support them in trying something new. All right. Derek, calling in from Calgary on the health spending account. Uh, go ahead, Derek. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi there, Premier. Thank you for taking my call here. Go ahead. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, Premier, one of the big things about the health spending account that there's been a little bit of confusion on is whether this will be able to be used for uh, team sports, team fees, uh, things like that, in order to get more people involved in healthy pursuits as opposed to uh, putting those costs on them, which in a lot of cases, because costs with team sports like anything else has become very prohibitive, especially for uh, young adults, whether they're just graduating high school or university. 
and keeping them healthy, I think, is an important part for everybody. So the the question that I have for you is, will the health spending account be able to apply to things like team sports or even a local gym? And the big question, can you commit to having this ready in time for the start of rugby season in May? (laughs) I wish I could. I've talked to uh, Nate Glubish about this. Nate Glubish is our technology and innovation minister. And the way we're structuring government is that when we have a big new project to roll out, his team oversees it and then they hand it off to the ministry. To, to be able to run it. So the, he had to do all of the work on the affordability payments. And now we're, we're shifting gears to a couple things. He's working on land titles, number one, getting that digitized. So that's going to be very important. But the other project he's working on is the health spending account as well. Unfortunately, we won't be able to roll it out in time for uh, for, for rugby season. But I can tell you, we, we just had a, a caucus retreat. And as we were talking about uh, what the health spending account would look like, I can tell you that a lot of my colleagues raised exactly the points that you did, is that when you're involved in uh, team sports or that you're doing fitness classes, that can be one of the very best things you can do for your mental health and overall fitness. And so I have been quite open-minded about doing that. I think the initial rollout uh, will want to do consistent with what other plans are like, just so that people get used to the idea of how they can be supported in in some of those um, those services that aren't currently covered, and then look at, at ways of expanding it. I, I want to get it rolled out so that people can start using it and start giving us feedback about what else needs to be in it. If we wait until it's perfect, it might take too long. So I don't want it to, I don't want it to take too long, but do know that we're, we're having those active discussions and there's a, a lot of people in my caucus who feel the same way you do. All right, record spending announced earlier this week in Calgary for a mental health and addiction strategy. Now the focus is on recovery and abstinence over providing a safe drug supply and supervised consumption sites. Now, that's drawn criticism from those who do favor the prescription drugs and safe sites. Can you strike a balance? Uh, I think it's being mischaracterized, quite frankly, um, because our emphasis is recovery. There is no question. I, I think anybody who is recovered and in recovery is grateful that they got their life back, that they got their agency sure. back, that they're able to be independent again. I don't think anybody wants to have a lifelong debilitating addiction. And so, but we also know that there's transitions that have to that have to take place. And, and we're just doing it a, a different way. We, we have safe con- consumption sites uh, in the province. We have, um, and we're continuing to open new ones to make sure that they're not that they don't congregate in a particular area. That's the problem that so we had no in Edmonton. So there's no plans to shut them down. There, there, there isn't. But I can tell you what we do is we have a couple of things that we've done that are quite unique here. Number one, as I mentioned, we eliminated the user fees on access to treatment beds. That was vitally important because when somebody is in the throes of an addiction, how are they going to afford $40 a day for a treatment bed? So we eliminated those user fees. We also have same-day mental health support, uh, counselingalberta.ca. If if you're in distress, you can call that and get same-day support. Um, If if you want same-day opioid treatment, with no wait list, no fees. We also have another website, vodp.ca. The um, the approach that we're taking, though, is that if somebody needs to go to a pain management center to get um, a pathway to getting onto one of the drug replacements and ultimately getting clean, that's the approach that we're taking here, is that we have um, dedicated people who are experts in pain management who are going to work with those individual patients. Quite, quite frankly, and we all know this because we saw a massive multi-billion 
billion dollar lawsuit in the United States uh, because of the um, Purdue Pharmaceutical that was telling doctors, oh, you can prescribe opioids. They're not addictive. Well, they turned out to be really addictive. And and that's part of the reason why we ended up with some of the problems that we have today. We we want to we, we don't want to give up on anyone. We, we believe everybody should have a pathway to recovery. And we and the reason why we are taking the approach that we are is because it works. One of the uh, companies that we have hired to manage our Red Deer Recovery Center, they, uh, I asked them, so what is your success rate on recovery? And they say it's between 77 to 85%. If we can get 77 to 85% of people completely off heroin and crystal meth and fentanyl, shouldn't we be trying to do that? I think we should. I don't think that we should be enabling for a, for the for, for a person's time horizon, looking out with no end in sight, some of the uh, some of these horrible drugs and the impact that they have on the on the body. So right. that's that's the difference. I mean, I, I found it interesting because we had thirteen hundred people at our recovery conference last week. That's where I announced that, that we've gone from pay, spending eighty seven million a year on mental health and addiction to um, to two hundred and seventy five million a year. Again, with no user fees. Uh, people are excited about the Alberta model. They want to try it elsewhere. I suspect that we will end up with twice as many people coming to the conference next year. And I think it should be the, I think it should be the standard. Okay. Uh, quick response, if I could. And we've addressed this on previous shows. Uh, it has been asked again on the text line several times. Why isn't CPP disability included in the affordability program? It should be. And I've talked with Matt Jones, our uh, affordability and utilities minister, and he has told me that we are working on a way to, uh, to, to make sure those payments get out to individuals who are not only on CPP disability, but also who claim the disability tax credit at the federal level. We do, because of our data sharing agreement, the federal government collects taxes on our behalf. We have the ability to identify those folks. It's just a matter of how do we work it into our payment system so that uh, that that group can be can be covered. It's about fifty five thousand Albertans. Okay. The spirit of the approach that we wanted to take was definitely to include those who were who who did have some uh, um, fixed income problems because of their disability and weren't able to make full market wages. So we're working on that. I should also mention that there were sixteen thousand people who put incorrect banking information as they were signing up. And so we've had to do a patch so that people can go back into their um, their profile and update their banking information. And I'm told that that is going to be able to be rolled out very soon as well. So those were a couple of little fixes that we needed to do. All right. We're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. Again, the show was not being broadcast in Edmonton today because of the early start Edmonton Oilers game. So listeners will have to go online to 770CHQR.com and we will take your calls. And right now we've got three calls on the board from Edmonton. We're going to start with uh, Sue, who is calling in from Edmonton on a senior home care question. Go ahead, Sue. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Thank you. Good morning, Premier, and thank you for taking my call. Thanks, Sue. Um, I do not have a question, but rather an idea to help improve our processes and costs on how we are managing home care for folks that are in retirement uh, living facilities. Um, I'll use my 82-year-old mother as an example. Uh, Last year, Mom lived at home and was receiving home care twice a day. She moved uh, about eight months ago into a retirement home, and at that point, um, AHS subcontracted the home care services to a third party. Uh, 
the issue and concern, um, and while there are a number of seniors at, this, at the facility uh, using the same services, um, and um, is that AHS will not utilize the nursing uh, uh, staff or aid staff at the facility because for some reason the facility itself does not qualify um, for like long-term care, but yet um, AHS is now paying a third party to travel multiple times back and forth to that facility and just makes no sense. Um, I believe the, the reason the, um, the facility itself is not meeting AHS standards is something to do with technical designs uh, for long-term care, like I mentioned earlier. So for me, I mean, for my mother and others, and maybe selfishly, uh, it will be more comfortable and convenient if they could utilize the staff that's at the facility and not uh, not be at uh, a third-party schedule and, and be in PJs by 7.30 at night. Right. Sue, you are totally right. And that is one of the frustrations that I have heard from our, our uh, retirement community providers. They're, uh, for some reason, if I understand this correctly, they have certain home care companies that have been given franchise areas in different cities. And so it's essentially granting a monopoly over that area. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the patients. And it certainly doesn't work for the for the staff either. So I've been working with Dr. John Cowell to see if there's a way that we can take a, a, a home care approach that is a lot more flexible, that allows for those uh, private retirement communities, like you're saying, to be able to bring um, the staff in because it's actually a lot more efficient too. If you have a, a home care provider able to see multiple different clients while they're on site, that is the, exactly the model that we want to move towards. There's also some weird rules around building codes where doors have to be 40 inches wide instead of 36, which isn't standard. And again, getting exceptions to those things if they don't have any real impact on patient safety and it's just an irritation that doesn't allow for, that allows for, that causes disqualifications. We, we've got to clear away some of that red tape. So I, I have some very good advisors who are in that world who I've connected with Dr. John Cowell. And because home care is going to feature so prominently in our future plan to support people where they live, we, uh, we're hoping to be able to, to get some solutions on that. But Sue, you described the problem perfectly. All right. Lucy uh, texted in saying paying gym fees from a health spending account is taxable while glasses, physio fees, et cetera, are not CRA determines that, not Alberta, so please be careful what you promise. Oh, she, I mean, very true. We have to do everything that is within compliance with the existing law. So first of all, Canada Health Act, it is against the law for us uh, if we want federal funding to charge for doctor's visits. So that's not going to uh, ever happen. Uh, but they also have um, in CRA rules for anyone who does provide a health spending account the, uh, the types of procedures that are covered. And so that is where we will begin. However, there are a number of different union contracts where they also have a wellness account that I've seen. And so maybe you have an option to be able to help support people on the wellness side. And we have different rules around the health spending account. I don't know. I mean, I think that we have to be flexible. I think that if these kind of, of uh, supports are becoming standard in uh, among um, union contracts, if they're becoming standard in the business world. Yeah, there's we, a lot of businesses, uh, corporations out there that I know of that they, have health and, and uh, wellness accounts. They found a way to do it. And so we should be making sure that every Albertan has access to those same kind of supports because taking control over your own health and keeping yourself well and investing in prevention will assist us on the other end in making sure that conditions don't deteriorate and it will ultimately help us to manage our health care costs. So I look at those as, as being both sides and whatever we can do to help facilitate 
uh, people taking care of themselves we want to do. We'll start with the things that we know we can do because there's some very clear rules around with uh, CRA, but I'm, I'm very open-minded about trying to support people in their other wellness. All right. Joanne from Calgary has been hanging on for about half an hour, so we're going to get to Joanne right now. Go ahead, Joanne. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith on an affordability question. Hi. Hi, Danielle. Hi, um, Joanne. My question is, I went to one of the uh, uh, Alberta support offices to try to apl- apply for the affordability payment, and I didn't qualify, and I'm one of the ones that is on the... Uh, CPP disability, and she said I don't, I didn't qualify. Thanks, Joanne. You're, you're and you are, as I mentioned, there are fifty-five thousand Albertans who we wanted to qualify because of the, the the circumstance you find yourself in. But we we had to do a little bit of an extra step. I'm I'm told that we have now figured out how to do that, and I believe either through the Alberta Supports Office or through the registries. Just give it another couple of weeks, and we'll make sure that we send directions out so that we can assist you in being able to get those payments. We want to make sure that anybody who's on disability has that extra support. All right. We've got a lot of calls today. We've got a lot of text messages coming in. We're going to try to uh, address all of them. We just have a few minutes left. I wanted to get to this one. Uh, Please ask Premier Smith the following two questions. What assurances do voters have that there will not be any foreign interferences in the May election? And secondly, what is happening with IPCA, the Indigenous Protected and Conserved Areas the federal government land grab. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm watching along with everybody else with shock as CSIS goes out and, and talks about the interference that happened at the federal level. And I, I think we should take that very seriously. I have not been briefed on any interference that has happened in our Alberta elections. And so um, I, I, if, if there is any of that information, I would hope that we would get that out to the public so that they would be on guard. But we, we should be very concerned um, that if CSIS has taken the extraordinary step of going to the public to let people know that there has been interference. Sure. The uh, the second thing on the uh, Indigenous protected lands areas, I mean, I am I am all for working with our, our, our treaty partners and identifying identifying areas that should be set aside for protection. But I also want to work with them in, in finding the economic corridor so that we can develop the go zones as well. Those have to be done together. You you don't want to be in a situation where you've established protected areas and then afterwards you say, oh, gee, that would be a really great place for an economic corridor. So right. those two things have to happen at the same time. And so there is no question that we want to be able to keep landscapes intact in order to be able to support, especially in northern Alberta, caribou habitat. And we've already, I think we've got 17 herds that we are working on uh, re- on recovery plans to make sure that they stay healthy. I think we've got two of them done, so we've got a little bit more work to do there. But this is something that needs to be led by Alberta in conjunction with our Indigenous partners because we're the ones who know the landscapes here and we're the ones that have the, the expertise. I, I don't think that this is something that should be led by Ottawa. All right. I wanted to wrap up the show with uh, some positive news today, uh, some exciting investment news earlier this week, a report showing investment in Alberta's tech and innovation sector broke records for a fourth straight year. The rest of the country recorded a decline. So that means jobs for Alberta. What role 
does government have, your government, if any, in helping ensure that that momentum continues? We, we have a big role to play in that. And, and part, it's part of the reason why I wanted to make sure that we had a specific ministry, technology and innovation, so that um, the, the, the broader community knew how important we feel it is that we expand out the investment in that area. We also have a, an entity called the Alberta Enterprise Corp and also Alberta Innovates, who've been partnering with a, a number of different startup uh, organizations and companies, Platform Calgary and Calgary, Startup TNT in both of our major cities. And that really creates an ecosystem to start developing out all of these wonderful startup ideas, give them some seed money, and then help them grow. So that's been incredibly uh, successful. And there's there's more to do. I, uh, Nate Lubish, during the my leadership, he suggested that we have a digital media production tax credit because we have uh, an enormous amount of uh, startup and uh, initial investment in that gaming world. And we can develop we can develop an expertise in that. We've got experts in, Albert, in artificial intelligence and robotics. And so I really feel like we're finally catching our stride. Uh, the, we were, uh, pr- prior to the UCP getting elected, we were lucky to get $34 million in this kind of investment. I think that was the high watermark before. Yep. $729 million is extraordinary. The fact that I think it's up 20% when the rest of the, of the country is down, we're finally punching at the weight that we should as a, um, as a, a, a business, for, from a business attraction point of view. And everybody has been saying how important it is for us to diversify our economy. And this is, I think, a very tangible sign that we are, are being able to build out in a whole broad range of additional new fields, along with the, the film industry that is building out here. I, I'm, uh, we've got an agri-food processing tax credit that was just announced a couple of weeks ago. So I, I feel like this is another piece of us being able to diversify the economy, and I'm so pleased it's working. And I guess, too, it shows the, the old adage that it takes money to make money. It does. You know, you have to be able to show that support. And, and having government come in as a partner, it, th- these kind of matching programs are really good because it allows for you to have the private sector assessment of an individual operation or, or a business idea. And then if the private sector says, yeah, we should be funding this, it allows us to be able to provide a little bit of additional gas to, to help uh, to boost, boost the opportunities for those individual companies. And so, and we also have a bunch of unicorns too. I mean, I think I read a story last year that we had four so-called unicorns, the one that go in value to a billion dollars. And I believe we've, we, we keep on seeing more of those develop. I don't know if, even know if I have an accurate number because we continue to see that kind of growth. So people should be pretty excited about that because it also helps to fill out our downtown businesses, our downtown business core. It's a couple of really groovy buildings, the Ampersand and the Edison, that have been renovated inside to be able to, to meet the requirements of the modern tech workers. Right. And, and I think we'll probably end up seeing more of that. All right. Big news. The budget coming up on Tuesday, and we'll see lots of that. Premier Smith, uh, it has been a pleasure once again. And we'll have lots to talk about next week. I can't. I think you're going to be pretty excited about um, uh, Travis Taves. I hope you're able to get him on on the sh- on the show at some point next week because he's got a lot of good news to share. All right, I'm Wayne Nelson. You have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.